You're listening to It's In Our Nature, the podcast that celebrates the connections between people and nature, with host Adam McLean, the Nature Conservancy's Missouri State Director. For more information, visit nature.org forward slash Missouri. Hey, everyone. I'm Adam McLean, Missouri State Director for the Nature Conservancy. Thanks for joining us. And it's spring here in Missouri. Everything's green and new life is popping up all over the place. And for you gardeners, I am one, this is when you're feeling a little adventurous. Am I right? You've got your old standbys going, your tomatoes, your green beans, your basil, they're all looking really good, but maybe there has to be something new, right? Maybe you're eyeing the Romanesco or those lemon cucumber starts at the nursery. Whatever it is, you're going to try something new, and that's the fun part. Well, in that adventurous spirit, we're going to try something new this spring with our podcast. It's in our nature. It's a new segment. We're going to feature from time to time, and it's called Ask McLean Anything. I did not come up with the name, um, but AMA for short. The setup's pretty simple. We're asking you to submit your conservation questions. I'll try to answer them. I told you it was simple. Easy peasy. Figuring the answers out might be a little tricky. That's why I'm reserving the right to phone a friend. We've got a lot of smart people working here at the Nature Conservancy, and I'm confident, pretty confident anyway, that uh, if I can't answer something, we have someone who can't. Thanks to you who have already submitted questions through our website, we've pulled three that I'm going to try and answer today. Are you nervous for me? I would be. Anyway, if you have any questions for Ask McLean Anything, go to our podcast site, nature.org forward slash mopodcast, and send them in. Whew, deep breath. Ready to get started. All right, let's jump in. Our first question is from Yvonne in Chesterfield. How far out of balance is the natural world right now? Yvonne is starting out with a doozy of a question, but I'm here for it. This is honestly a really big question, and you could probably ask 100 different scientists the same question and get 100 different answers. And for the record, everybody, I'm not a scientist, but I get to hang out and work with some of the best. So I'll do my best to describe how we see the balance and what we're doing to change the trajectory for the better. I'm just going to start by saying the TNC's vision is a world where people and nature thrive. So your question, Yvonne, that balance is what we're focused on. We know that people and nature share the planet, and that will never change. It's what we can do as an organization with our partners and individually even to make sure we're making decisions and implementing practices that benefit the world instead of harming it. Right now, the world's in a climate and biodiversity crisis, and honestly, the odds seem maybe worse than ever. As a parent, it weighs pretty heavily on me to know that decisions we make today will determine the legacy and planet we leave to our future generations. But I'm also a giant optimist, and I know that there's hope. So TNC's science shows there's hope. While the Earth's natural systems face serious threats, they are remarkably resilient. However, I truly believe that we have a short window of opportunity to work together, combining nature's resilience with our powerful human capacity to innovate, act, and make a difference. So I'm not going to get too deep here, but I do want all our listeners to know that TNC as a global organization has set really specific goals to reach by the end of the year 2030. These goals are backed by scientific data and studies that focus on that balance that you're asking about, Yvonne. 
I'm not going to lie or make them sound easy because they, they are totally not. They're really big goals. Worldwide, we're talking 3 billion metric tons of carbon dioxide avoided or sequestered, conserving 4 billion hectares of ocean, a million kilometers of river systems, conserving 600 million acres of land through partnership with communities across the globe, to restore and improve management of working lands, supporting leadership of indigenous peoples as land stewards, conserving critical forests, grasslands, other habitats rich in carbon and biodiversity. Whew. Like Those are just a few of the goals, and they're big. We don't have thousands of goals. We have refined them really closely to the things that we think are the most important to work on. And I'm just giving you a flavor of those and letting you know that we hold ourselves accountable to really driving towards those. In Missouri, we've defined our own 2030 goals that contribute directly to those global goals. These are areas where I think we can make the biggest impact. We know that we can't do everything. We don't want to try and duplicate what some other great organizations and agencies are doing. So we look at our strengths as the Nature Conservancy in Missouri. We look at what the science is telling us, and we try and figure out where we can make the biggest difference. Like what project needs a little bit more support? What habitat needs our help? That's where we focus our energy. So our 2030 goals are focused on five big strategies in Missouri. Biodiversity protection, sustainable agriculture, nature-based solutions, which is basically using nature in lieu of traditional engineering and kind of hard infrastructure, healthy cities, and climate resilience. I could take the next hour describing all the ways we're working in each of those strategies. And maybe that's a podcast episode for another time, but for now, you can visit our website at nature.org forward slash Missouri and click on each of those strategies to see on the ground projects. My desire is for those to give you hope that if we work together, if we work individually, helping nature, nature's going to help us right back and we're going to see that positive influence. And that's the whole reason for this podcast. So Yvonne, great question. Tough question. Thanks producers for giving that to me right out of the gate. Um, but I think it's something that's on everyone's mind. So the balance of the natural world is in trouble. It'll be in more trouble if we continue on with business as usual. But that's not what we do at TNC. And our science shows us hope. We always say hope is not a strategy. But I think it's a good thing to have as long as we're backing it up with actual science strategies and action. So question number two comes to us from Kelly, all the way out in Crestwood, Kentucky. I thought about whether to divulge this to the audience, but Kelly's my sister. I know that. So you could be all wowed by somebody in Crestwood, Kentucky listening. Kelly saw on something um, that we were doing this, and she's like, oh, I get to ask my little brother anything, huh? Okay, I'm in. So um, Kelly, thank you for supporting your your little brother um, with this question. What's the craziest animal encounter or story you've heard about or been a part of? So within mind the family dynamic in this question, uh, I'm going to share some family lore here. One of the big animal encounters that I think comes up around Thanksgiving tables every so often is the story about a mother moose in Canada. So I was the youngest of four. My two brothers, my dad, and some cousins uh, did a fly-in fishing trip up in Canada. Little cabin, middle of nowhere, they drop you off for seven days, et cetera, et cetera. Some of you have done that. It's awesome. Great way to get immersed in nature. Um, my brother 
decided, as everybody else was taking a nap midday, that he wanted to go out and explore this peninsula a little bit, see what was out there, walk around a little bit. My dad was a little nervous. I'm not sure how old my brother was. He was probably 16, 17, something like that. Had a literally adventurous spirit and said, I want to go off on my own and take a look at things. My dad tried to manage that by saying, you just have to stay in this peninsula because you can't walk by this house without seeing it and get lost. So you're pretty safe bet out there. So he walked out. All he had with him was an axe. I don't know why. Um, but he walked out there, started walking around. All of a sudden, he just heard something screaming through the woods, charging at him, busting down trees. He didn't know what else to do other than to scramble up the closest tree that he could find. He scrambled up this really close tree, got up in there, and looked down, and it was a mother moose. So he had gotten between her calves and herself. She didn't like that. As anybody that spent time around moose will know, she charged him, got him up the tree. So he had very little options at that point other than to stand up there and look down at this amazing moose sitting there protecting her, her children, which was pretty cool for about 45 minutes until he was still up in the tree in an uncomfortable way. My dad woke up from nap. They realized my brother hadn't gotten back yet. They got incredibly worried, so they started uh, walking around. My dad, I think, started walking out the peninsula yelling for my brother. And as the story goes, my dad says, I, I've, I was yelling, Jason, Jason. And I heard him finally say, yeah. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, a bleeping moose has got me up a tree. And my dad's story is, I've never been so glad to hear my son say the F word. Um, so that's kind of the, the punchline in the family is I've never been so glad to hear my son say the F word. Uh, and it relates to that story and that animal encounter. They got boats, got on two sides, distracted the moose, got him down safely. He came back with a story that lives on in infamy in our family, which is pretty cool. So, I, you know, as I thought about this question, Kelly, um, I started thinking about like those moments for me that you know, if you're like a good song, sometimes triggers a memory, like a very specific memory. I think animal encounters can trigger a very specific memory that bring you back to this place time where you can see the sights in your brain, you can smell what it smelled like, you know what season it was, who you were with, all of that stuff is really, really powerful. So I wrote down a couple of them for me. First river otter I ever saw was on a fishing trip with my dad down in the Smoky Mountains, uh, I set off up the river, kind of found this waterfallish type thing and was out in the middle of the stream waiting there. And I saw this river otter come through and splash around, kind of investigate me a little bit and then head downstream. And it was just, it couldn't have been any cooler. The place that I was in, who I was with, this animal I just saw, it like etched that thing in memory by seeing that animal. It was really cool. Um, a great horned owl um, had a nest behind our house in Indiana in this giant tree, and we would get binoculars and all kinds of things and just watch these fuzzy little great horned owl chicks uh, get born and get bigger, and we'd go out underneath that big tree and find all these bones of stuff that they had eaten. That was a really vivid memory of just like my childhood home for some reason. Um, the first turkey that I ever heard gobble in the woods was in southern Indiana, pretty I had we didn't have a lot of turkeys at the time and I went down with my brother on a turkey hunting and uh, we went into Hoosier National Forest public land set up camp next to a road climbed up this giant hill didn't know what we were doing 
And that morning on the roost, we heard these turkeys gobble close, and just that sound in the woods is a memory that I will never forget. And again, it's etched in this family thing with my brother. And then uh, the final one that I wrote was um, related to the Nature Conservancy. We took a board trip, several members of our board of trustees. Um, we regularly try to do three meetings in the state per year and one meeting out of state per year so that it's a little bit more extended. We get to go see the work of other Nature Conservancy chapters in different places, learn from it, support them, encourage them. We're all in this together as a big team and it's really helpful um, to go see those things. Well, very few of our trips are outside of the U.S., but this one happened to be. It was a smaller group that decided to go, that they wanted to go see our work in Tanzania. I was really fortunate to go along with them. So obviously plenty of animal encounters in Tanzania, um, in the Serengeti, but one in particular that I won't forget was a lioness um, that we, we stopped in the Jeep and saw her coming over this hill. She was obviously headed somewhere, not with hunting on her mind, but obviously hunting is always on their mind when they see an opportunity. So she saw a bunch of, I think it was antelope, a um, couple hundred yards away. And when they caught her eye, she just crouched down in the grass, and then you couldn't see her at all. So, But we knew right where she was, and we got to watch these antelope kind of me meander their way over towards her, not knowing that she was there. And just to see that dynamic, no worries, there's nothing graphic. She did not get the antelope. But to see them get closer and closer, like, oh, boy, they're really, really close. This is about to happen. And then to have kind of the sentry, uh, the one that's on the lookout in the antelope group, to see her spot her, make a quick alarm sound, and see them all take off and run, and her not even chase them, just kind of like, yep, that's not, I'm not going to be able to get them, was this event that felt... Um, like really special to be an observer of. They were acting in their natural environment in the way they would without us there. We got to see it. We got to observe predator and prey happen in a way. Um, and it was just really, really cool. And again, that kind of etched a memory of that trip overall. So animal encounters, though, Kelly, your question is, was the craziest animal encounter or story you've heard about or been a part of? I, I don't think of the crazy ones don't jump to mind. It's like, it, for me, it's the ones that that create a memory that like, define a moment in my life with a certain collection of people in a certain place. And I think um, it's really powerful. So thank you for the question. I appreciate and I love you, Kelly. Your little brother loves his older brother. I mean, sister. I love you. Thanks. Okay, this is our final question for the segment, and it's from Birch in St. Louis. <clears throat> so Birch would like to know, what's the status of the Missouri program to encourage landowners to plant milkweed to bring back the monarch butterflies? So great question, Birch, and one that we get a lot, actually, because everyone loves pollinators, especially monarchs. So the decline of the monarch receives a lot of attention last summer when the butterfly was officially classified as endangered by the International Union of Conservation for Nature. And while it's not currently listed under the U.S. Endangered Species Act, I think a proposal for its listing could come in 2024. So it's a big challenge, and it's not just limited to monarchs. It's a loss of natural habitat. So just to give you an idea, less than 1% of Missouri's tall grass prairie remains today. So... How do you compensate and replace some of that habitat that monarchs and so much of our wildlife need to survive? This is one of those places that individuals can play this big role. And so planting butterfly gardens is one way. And there's lots of organizations 
set up to help people get started. The city of St. Louis established the Milkweed for Monarchs initiative on Earth Day in 2014. So if you're not familiar with this program and their website includes a lot of tools and resources including how to plant and care for monarch gardens. That website is stlouis-mo.gov forward slash monarchs. So stlouis-mo.gov forward slash monarchs. Another great program which is statewide is Grow Native. It's an initiative from the Missouri Prairie Foundation. Their website is grownative.org. And they host multiple native plant cells in the spring and fall across the state where you can purchase native grasses, wildflowers, trees, and shrubs that benefit a host of pollinators and wildlife species. So it's an incredible program, as is the Missouri Prairie Foundation. So please check them out if you're looking for other ways to get interested and engaged in this space. So finally, you, you might think your yard is too small or that one yard doesn't make a difference but you'd be wrong on both counts. So an area as small as one square meter with the right mix of plants can provide excellent habitat and make a difference for migrating monarchs and other pollinators. But you should have a mix of native plants. As Birch alluded to in his question, milkweed is essential for the survival of monarch butterflies as they serve as the host plant for the larvae. But other native plants like coneflowers, goldenrod, black-eyed Susan provide much needed nectar sources for the butterflies. So it's kind of a if you build it, they will come type scenario, or even a, if you protect it, they will come. And that applies to all sorts of wildlife. That's why we at TNC are so focused on conserving these critical lands and waters. In Missouri, we specifically have a biodiversity goal to improve stewardship on 111,000 acres of TNC partner or private land by the year of 2030. This goal includes projects like our robust habitat strike teams that are located around the state, these teams help boost plant and wildlife diversity through land stewardship practices like prescribed fire, invasive species removal, and both of these things then allow native plants and wildflowers to grow and hopefully thrive. So while we're not specifically doing things for monarchs, we work, the work we're doing is benefiting them and a host of other species. Another way we're working to boost just biodiversity in general, and this one's tied more to the monarch, is that our Dunn Ranch uh, Prairie Preserve, which is in Hatfield, Missouri, just uh, about two hours north of Kansas City near the Iowa border. There we have 3,000, uh, more than 3,000 acre tall grass prairie that's haven to pollinators and grassland birds, which is another important species on the brink. The work we're doing there expands beyond our preserved borders. So that region is mostly agricultural grazing lands. So we're working with local ranchers to connect them with state and federal programs so that they can make their fields more sustainable and honestly more profitable, which is why we'll see more of them. One way to do that is by incorporating natives in their grazing fields to increase the habitat needed for pollinators and wildlife. We know that it'll take way more than just our 3,000 acre preserve to help these declining species, which is why we look at these big landscape scale things and try and introduce solutions that can help at a big, big scale. Last thing I'll say about Dunn Ranch Prairie uh, is that every September the monarchs migration come through and it's awesome. It is a sight to see. So due to the location and the high quality habitat, they hang out there for a good bit. And there are just monarchs, I mean, everywhere. You'll go up there and they're just fluttering. They're up on trees. They'll have these kind of roosting areas that they're all massed together. It is, it is a sight to behold. So it's hard to judge exactly when, because the obvious follow-up question is like, when should I visit? Um, it's hard to judge. 
when they're going to come through or how long they're going to stay, but it's amazing and we're always happy to welcome them. So you can learn more about Dunranch Prairie by going to nature.org forward slash Dunranch Prairie. Um, and I would think, I'm going to make an executive decision here, I think. Maybe we'll send out an alert when the monarchs are there um, and just say like, yep, they started coming on our Facebook page. So check that out. Um, and just if you if you want to make a trip, there's a lot of information on the webpage, but then we'll also try and send some alerts that let people know when would be a good time to come up. So Birch, you in particular, I hope you come up and visit, and thanks so very much for the question. I'm not sure I totally answered the question, but I hope I gave you some resources to learn more about how to plant monarch gardens. And I do encourage all our listeners to incorporate native plants into your home gardens or any land that you may own because every little bit helps. Whew. Okay. I've survived, I think, our very first Ask McLean Anything. And I feel pretty good about our little seedling of a segment here. So what do you think? Give us some feedback. And remember, if you have a question about nature and conservation, send them our way via our podcast website, nature.org forward slash mopodcast. And we may just select it and answer in a future show. As always, if you would enjoyed our show today, please subscribe. Tell your friends about us. You can find this episode of It's In Our Nature as well as all of our past episodes at that same site, nature.org forward slash mopodcast. Thanks for the questions and thanks for listening. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs>